and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. Stephen, I saw Sweeney Todd on Broadway this week. Really? Yeah. How did you like it? Was, it was that your first time seeing it? On Broadway, yeah. I mean, I watched I watched the movie a lot. I remember seeing the movie when it came out in theaters, and I probably watched it again like on DVD at a friend's house. The Tim Burton movie? Yeah. Yeah. That That was way better than I was expecting it to be. Like, it's not like... I wouldn't say it's the definitive way to see Sweeney Todd, but in terms of movie adaptations of musicals, it's like pretty solid. They do a good job of of taking what is a three hour musical and condensing it into two hours, which I yeah. think is is no small feat, especially considering like it's Sondheim and he's very good at his job. And all those three hours are like really well utilized. And I think that musical kind of fits Tim Burton's like vibe very well yeah I think it was like actually a pretty good pick for him i remember very explicitly the beach scenes being yes like, how is he making this really like colorful beautiful beach sequence still feel like a tim burton movie uh which i think is very impressive anyway you want to talk about warrior wear <laughs> yeah i just i got a flashback there was a period in the late 2000s where there was a production of sweeney todd where all of the actors also played an instrument like they were the band and the performers. Oh, that's a cool idea. Anyway, let's talk about some video games. Yeah, let's talk about WarioWare. Um, yeah. There's a new WarioWare out. It's called WarioWare Move It with an exclamation yeah. point. With two exclamation? No, just one exclamation point. You and I, you and I are big WarioWare fans. I think, oh, yeah. I think we really like got that off of our chests during the Game Boy Advance episode because there are two great. I mean, first of all, the beginning of WarioWare is, is uh, yeah. mega micro games on the Game Boy Advance. And then there was a follow up WarioWare game on the Game Boy Advance called Twisted, which had a Game Boy Advance cartridge with an accelerometer built into it or a gyroscope. I forget which one, probably a gyroscope that lets you twist the Game Boy Advance around in your your hands and that's how you that's how you do the various mini games we talked a lot about those games i went out and bought a copy of warrior twisted so i could like play it on the original hardware which was like just a a dream yeah but warrior has had like a weird a weird lineage since then because i feel like with every subsequent Nintendo console, there's been a WarioWare on it, and it's kind of anyone's guess if they're going to utilize the hardware that they're on or not. The curse of WarioWare is that they got it too right the first time. I feel like yeah. with a lot of video games, like the first game kind of sets the foundation and then the iterations like improve upon it. Mm. I feel like Mega Micro Games and Twisted, I, I've enjoyed the games after that. Like I think the one on the Wii was really strong, Smooth Moves, Smooth which moves. this feels like this new one is the most similar to yes very much but there's a part of me that's like every warrior game after the first two feels like you're adding an extra ingredient that maybe overcomplicates the perfection of the first couple yeah. games yeah i think the one on ds was really fun uh touched using the touchpad was like a really clean addition and felt unique to the game mm -hmm. and they also i mean that's the introduction of the ashley song there's a lot of like there's always a lot of charm and character to the games yeah they've created an amazing cast of characters to go along yeah. with wario and it's so weird that they're just relegated to warioware games like it's so interesting to me that we haven't gotten like the ashley spinoff game for example right yeah it feel it, it reminds me of like the cast of diddy kong racing a lot of those characters, like Banjo was initially just like a guy you could race as in Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah. And then got Banjo-Kazooie. Conker, of course, got his own games later <laughs> as well. Uh, but initially, though, Conker's games were like very kid-friendly Game Boy games. I remember reading Nintendo Power and seeing like walkthroughs of the Conker Game Boy games being like, you have to give a birthday present to your neighbor, then the game ends. Like that was it. So I feel like... <laughs> 
if you, I, I, I doubt a lot of the humor in Conker's Bad Fur Day holds up, but seeing it as like just the manifestation of being frustrated working with Nintendo is very interesting to me. <laughs> that is very um, interesting. But you're totally right. Like there's so much like you could have a series of any one of those characters and people would be interested in it. Yeah. It's like they're just for using Waluigi just because Camelot invented him. <laughs> right. But I mean, these are Nintendo characters that all have multiple musical numbers. Like, yes. I would, I might regret these words. I want a WarioWare movie, honestly. Forget the <laughs> Zelda movie. I want to see what these freaks are up to. Give me like a Yellow Submarine musical movie of the WarioWare cast, you know? I would a dream that would be. And also if they required audience interaction. Yes. In yeah, I want to give me like a blue man group. Like I need to wear like a smock in the front row. because I'm going to get shit all over me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's Ashley. It's like <laughs> mashed potatoes on the crowd. I think a person dressed as Orbulon needs to be sitting in the crowd with you also. Absolutely. Yeah. Orbulon feels very like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the one on 3DS Gold was like a nice compilation of all the different styles. Yeah. But I think the the most recent one on Switch, which was uh, Get It Together, great subtitle, just for the record. Yeah. That was an interesting swing. I, I respect them for like going for something wildly different. But I think that to me was like maybe a step too far. I think it kind of like added a little bit too much to the simple formula. But it's kind of like... If you just keep doing the same thing, no one really wants that either, right? Like right. If you just sort of like pump out more micro games, like no one really wants this. There has to be, a, you got to have a gimmick. You got to get a gimmick. Yeah. But it's just a matter of like, how well does that gimmick serve the actual game? And so how, how I actually haven't played this new one yet. How do you think of it so far? Like, how does it work? So I, I think it's worth bringing up smooth moves because I, I think in the same way that uh, Nintendo Switch Sports is like the Nintendo Switch follow up to Wii Sports, WarioWare Move It is very much, as, as you mentioned, it's it's a direct follow up to smooth moves. And if you haven't played smooth moves, first of all, an amazing video game. If you have yeah. access to a Nintendo Wii and can play smooth moves, you really do need to do that. Um, I remember playing it a lot, a lot. I think in college, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, for me, it came out, I think like, at the latter part of when I was in high school, but we was still very present in college. And I remember my freshman dorm, my hall, I had my door open. And whenever I was playing smooth moves, people would come in and I would like actually make friends. Like yeah. it was like a really great like way to just to socialize and like have fun. And I think because it's so chaotic, it can't ever be competitive. <laughs> like, right. You know, it just like, it kind of like reduces any weird vibes that could be happening because it's just like so silly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember the common room in college. Uh, we had a Nintendo Wii set up there and people were pretty much always playing smooth moves or I think maybe the first Just Dance game, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I think was also that era, which is wild to think about because that's basically, and now that's what I call music at this point. But I was laughing. I'm sorry, but I was laughing because I just got hit in like the face with a memory of like having established my room as like a place where people can hang out and play games and then also having my door open and playing oblivion and someone walking by and going oh <laughs> inside of me there are two wolves i got my libra rising and my aquarius moon give me some moon time baby smooth moves was yeah. a game for the nintendo wii and and the big the big thing about that game which like obviously used the Wiimote to great effect, but they yeah. called the Wiimote the form baton. 
is what it was called in that game. And, yeah. and the whole shtick of, of smooth moves was as you progress through the game, you unlocked different forms. And that was like different ways you needed to hold the Wiimote or the yes. form baton. So, for example, one of them is like the handlebar. And that would mean that you're holding the Wiimote with both hands as if you're holding like the handlebars of a bike. Or uh, what's the other one? The um, umbrella was one where you the umbrella. Yeah, upright. you hold it straight yeah. up. There's one that's just the remote control that's just like holding it normally. Uh, tug of war. Actually, no, a, a really good example is the waiter, which is like you have to hold your hand out like you're holding a plate and you put the yeah. Yeah, I remember that. that one. So yeah. you're doing essentially it's telling you what form, quote unquote, you need to be in so they can calibrate the Wiimote for every single game and make sure that it's like exactly where it needs to be to succeed at the game. So when they say the waiter, you need to hold the Wiimote like you're holding a, a serving tray. But simultaneously, the, the mini game that you're going to play based on the waiter will require you to you know interact with the Wiimote like that, which I think is a really smart way of like kind of getting around the fact that the Wiimote can sometimes, you know, lose track of what's going on. And yeah. honestly, even more so than the Wiimote, I think the joy icons have that problem like in games that are trying to utilize the gyroscope and the motion controls on 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 the on the joy cons i just find that like i lose the tracking pretty quickly like nintendo yeah. switch sports is a game i really like but got frustrated with at a certain point because it was really hard to constantly be calibrating the joy cons yeah. to make sure that they were in the right spot and like actually interacting this the way that i was interacting with them so going and and making warrior move it and kind of bringing in that same direction from smooth moves instead of the the uh form baton you now have form stones which is like each of the joy cons that you have in your hand and they're they bring back the the forms and there are a bunch of different forms that you have uh the first one is called choo choo where you have to like hold your hands at your side and like kind of <laughs> gyrate them in a circle like you're a train kind of moving around there's another one called the massage where you like hold your hand like you extend your hands out with the joy cons in each hand as if you like have hands on like somebody's shoulders and you give them a back massage there's another one called the big cheese where you have to like stand with your that arms. was that was in smooth moves i'm pretty sure yeah, yeah. that's that's have, a great one you have to stand with your arms at your side as if you're like just very proud of yourself and there are just so many like really silly ones there's one called uh baka which is like you have to stand like a chicken with like one joy con at your mouth and another one at your butt uh, and like kind of like make chicken motions and stuff it's really silly and really fun and i just think as a direction for warrior to go in as much as i'd like to get it together and as you said i think that was like a really good and great swing for the franchise move it is like the answer you know it reminds yeah. me so much of what happened with mario party where mario party i forget i forget what the first one was called that they released on the switch but super mario party super mario party and people didn't like it very much like it didn't really connect and then they followed that up with do you remember what the other one was called Super Mario Party All-Stars. Yeah, maybe it was Mario Party All-Stars. I think that I think that's what it is, which ended up being like a compilation of a bunch of other stuff from other Mario Party games. Super Mario Party like just didn't have enough in it, really. And I think that was kind of the issue for a lot of people. And like it, it, they were kind of breaking outside the boundaries of what people knew Mario Party to be in ways that I think just like didn't connect with the audience. And then Mario Party All-Stars ended up being like, oh, this is this is kind of a return to form. This is what everybody wants. And I feel like that's what's going on with WarioWare. Yeah. Um, to be clear, and, and you can go back, I think it was just about two years ago at this point. I think it came out September 2021 was when WarioWare Get It Together dropped. And I loved that game and did play a lot of it. Like I streamed yeah. a lot of it. They had like daily challenges and stuff as if it was like a roguelike. Like there were really interesting ideas in Get It Together. Um, and if you haven't played it, I guess just a quick recap. The whole deal is that you can play as any of the characters. So you have like a little character who's in like a spaceship kind of flying around the screen, but you can pick any of the characters and all of the characters all have their own like different individual 
individual movesets and like different things that they can do within different minigames. So it created this really interesting dynamic where like you could go into any minigame, but sometimes there were better characters to be playing as in some games than others. So it created a sense of of strategy almost where like in between each round of mini games, you would like maybe choose a different character because you knew what was coming up and you could like pick a better character to best handle those situations, which I do think fundamentally almost undoes a lot of what WarioWare is good at to be like, we're employing a level of strategy considering the game is all about chaos and figuring out things like literally at the last second, because you generally only have one second to figure out what's going on. Yeah. It's also such a game design flex to like, no matter your experience level, when you play the older ones, like most of the games will just give you a very basic command, like figure it out or like connect and you'll have just enough time to know how to do it. Yes. And I think adding the characters was like conceptually very interesting, but it added another layer that you had to like be cognizant of already mm-hmm. before you could like realistically know how to do the level. Right. Yes. It, it adds too much foresight and, and forethought to the idea of WarioWare, I think, to be successful. I think it is a different thing entirely in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, I, think, I think there's like a branch of the series that could like explore that idea more or maybe even have like another mode. Yeah, that's like that. But I, you're totally right. Yeah, that having been said, like if you haven't played that and, and you want to get your hands on it, like I, I would still recommend it. I think it's maybe not the most successful WarioWare game, but I think it's a really successful game. Like I think they I think they accomplished totally. what they wanted to accomplish in terms of that idea. But WarioWare Move It is just like straight up a return to form it very literally i guess in this case um yeah. but i mean it's i don't i don't know what i can say about it outside of like it's funny it makes me laugh <laughs> i played uh through the whole story in multiplayer and that was really fun my partner and i played it together we each had one joy sorry we each had two joy cons um which i think is one unfortunate limitation is you both have to have two joy cons mm. to be able to play multiplayer but still had like an amazing time with it uh and i would recommend it Sounds awesome. I also quick correction: the Mario Party game we talked about is Mario Party Superstars. Oh, uh, yes. So I was I was close. What is um, Super Mario Party then? That was the initial one that that no one really liked. Oh, I had okay. the sidekicks. Yes, and you can get like eight people on your on your turn. <laughs> you could have like half the cast falling. Your I I didn't hate that game, but like that was one where I was like, you know, we're normally not on the side of like, oh, this game's unfinished or there's not enough, but it was like. There were four levels and it was $60. Yeah. It was just sort of like, come on, guys. So Superstars has a little bit more of what you want from it. It also has like recreated the sort of best levels from like various installments of, of the series. If I can be honest, I, I really like that game. And I think of the two, that is the one that like when people come over and they want to play Mario Party, that's the one that we play. I still think that they should have added DLC to that or something like I. Yeah, I, they, I agree. They added a bunch of stuff from previous Mario Party games. And I really love that. Like they brought back a lot of my favorite levels. But I was really thinking that it was going to be similar to what they were, were doing up until recently with Mario Kart 8, where they would just like continue adding stuff over time. Because if they wanted to do like a booster course kind of thing where like, oh, if you have Nintendo online, you get extra levels for Mario Party Superstars. I think that'd be great. I think the big reason that works for the booster course and does not work for Mario Party Superstars is just like every person with a Switch has Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Yeah, that's true. And I, I don't know how much of an incentive it would be for people to get extra stuff in Mario Party Superstars if that game didn't sell nearly as well. Like the attach rate of that piece of software to this piece of hardware with Mario Kart is, I think, unlike anything we've ever seen with any console and any video game. Um, yeah, well, it sold like over 30 million units yeah. and like continues to be like the number one selling game on Switch. Yeah, it's, wild. it's like it's really remarkable. So knowing that Mario Party Superstars like didn't have that kind of attach rate 
I understand why they wouldn't continue to develop stuff for it, but it really seemed like they just created the foundation for what was going to be like a live service version of Mario Party, which I'm not against. Just I think the way that Nintendo is doing live service, quote unquote, in terms of just like adding stuff to the Nintendo Switch Online plus expansion pack stuff, I think is like not a terrible way of going about it compared to what I've seen from other companies trying similar strategies. And uh, I don't know what this has to do with WarioWare, but uh, I I think I think they're connected. I think Mario Party and WarioWare are both like very different approaches at party games for Nintendo. Yeah. You know, I think WarioWare is is a little bit more if like Mario Party is like kind of Nick Jr. Blue's Clues. WarioWare is like Cartoon Network, like Dexter's Lab energy. Yeah, very much. But I feel like I've always felt like a little bit of a Mario Party defender because I think for a while it like got like really ridiculed by like game critics. And to be fair, there's there were really bad ones. There was an era where like it was basically shovelware. Like I think anything after like I'll, I'll be generous and say after six I feel like it's really like once you were all in the train and there weren't even turns. I was going to bring up the train. Yeah. The train is really that was like truly poisonous. But I think there's something really special, not even just because I grew up with them. But like, I think when you play like two or three or even four, like those are like well thought out party games, yeah. I think. I think also like they lean more into the board game side of it and some of the like three and four. I I remember really liking four on the GameCube. I'm wondering if that's like purely nostalgia, but I just remember liking the sort of stages a lot in that game. And I think there's a way to like have a really well-made party game. And I think WarioWare is like the gold standard in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think also just in terms of like being able to hand anybody that console or hand anybody a Joy-Con and just be like, we're all on the same page here in that we have no idea what's <laughs> yeah. about to happen. I think it's really nice. Whereas with Mario Party, there is a little bit more of like an understanding that you're going to have to hand somebody a controller, which like they might not be used to in the first place. And then on top of that, need to explain all of the rules before you would get into it. Like I know they try and do their best to kind of give you the lay of the land when you start each of the levels and stuff in Mario Party. But WarioWare, there is a there's a fun there is a fun chaotic angle to it. I think that allows it to be weirdly, even though it is the most unknowable entity of all of Nintendo's stuff, also weirdly becomes the most approachable because of that. Like it, it yeah, goes so yeah. far in being chaotic that it comes out the other end and, and creates order and equalizes the playing field <laughs> it creates order out of chaos yeah exactly that's actually the one the one gripe i have with the first entry which i would say in some ways is the best is that it's not multiplayer at least like not yeah. realistically i think you might be able to with like a game boy advance link cable but like come on even i have to draw the line somewhere <laughs> with, with some of the older hardware yeah and to be fair that's like one of the things that makes get it together so interesting like get it together i think was successful because you could just you know you could you could live by the dream of the nintendo switch which was like you could bring it somewhere each of you could have one of the joy cons and then you could be playing WarioWare multiplayer and that's really fun and a lot of it yeah. was not even competitive but ended up being cooperative also it was like the two of yeah. you literally need to get it together and figure this out you know as, as a team and that's really fun that's a, that, that's like a really successful angle of that game that's what's one of the reasons that i would still recommend it to people um i think i think move it having the requirement that you each need to have two joy cons actually does kind of create a bit of a barrier in playing it with other people because even like say you only have one switch you still need to have another pair of joy cons and a way to charge those joy cons which is like maybe a bridge too far for a lot of people so get it together definitely has the has the upper hand there but overall worry where move it it's a great video game uh i think i think if you played get it together and you were like i wish there was something a little bit more standard warrior wear like move it is definitely the thing um i actually now that i'm thinking about it I, I wonder if there's a version that lets you 
hand the joy cons back and forth with people like i wonder if there's a way to play multiplayer without needing two pairs of joy cons because that that would make more sense to me would be like kind of hand it back and forth yeah anyway i'd recommend it i like it a lot i just i'm really glad that we're still getting these because i feel like this could easily be a series nintendo just sort of dropped after a certain point yeah and i'm like very happy they continue to make them because as you Um, and i said with uh, and and you brought up also at the beginning of the segment but like mega micro games is like the perfection of warioware they just got it. Yeah. They got it completely <laughs> right the first time. The first time. And it's yeah. almost hubris to say that they're going to be able to do it every single time they they make one of these games in a way. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really fascinating that they're that they're continuing to go back to that well and coming up with like good ideas every single time. On top of that, I do have some que- like we'll never know the answer to this, but I'm just curious how long this game has been development for like did get it together come out and not sell very well. And they were like, you have two years to make and, and publish and release a new WarioWare game that's like closer to what the fan expectation is? Or have they both been in the works? Same question with like Pokemon, right? Right. It's like, was Arceus or Arceus in the same time as Scarlet and Violet? We'll never know. Yeah. Oh, I think they have three teams. I think that we do know. I I think, I think Game Freak has three teams working. There's like the, there's the team working on the remake stuff. There's the like mainline entry team. And then there's whatever this third team is working on things like Arceus. Hmm. I'm really curious what's next for Pokemon after getting like different iterations on all that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, have you dipped into the DLC for Scarlet and Violet yet? I haven't played much of it at all. I'll be honest, like early on, like I I just found the performance of that to get in the way pretty meaningfully for me. So I just sort of dropped it. I also just felt a little bit like it was the first time in, in doing this show where I was like, am I like over Pokemon finally? Mm -hmm. Like am I, I don't think I'm over definitively, but just like with sword and shield, I think you and I were just so excited. And even with, with Arceus and even with the remakes of, of diamond and pearl, I think there was an excitement to those games by the time I got to Scarlet and Violet, I felt a little bit burnt out. Yeah. I had also just like, it wasn't too long after my Nuzlocke of Ruby Sapphire was, I'm not emotionally available for whatever new team Mm. I'm going to catch. But I'm, I'm like definitely interested in where the series is going, but that like was the first time that I felt kind of ambivalent to playing one. Yeah. Arceus was definitely, I mean, as we talked about during the Goatee episode, cause that, that ended up making that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, That was a great, like that was a really good swing. And I think they overall pulled it off. And the the sad thing, the, the frustrating thing about Scarlet and Violet for me is like, I loved what it was doing like on paper, I just think it was really the execution that that muddied it for me. Yeah, I, um, I'm but I'm curious. The, the thing that has me holding out hope for Scarlet and Violet is a people who are playing the DLC seem to love it, which I think is yeah. definitely worth considering. And if the big if that's always lingering in the air when talking about Nintendo, if there is another switch coming down the pipeline and it is as powerful as people have been rumored to be implying at least that it's like PS4 pro Xbox one level of power in that console. I imagine that would give a pretty significant performance boost to previous switch games. And if that's the case, Scarlet and Violet might be worth revisiting at that point. Like that, that to me is like the big lingering. What if for me is if there is some kind of like across the board, every single switch game gets a power increase then Scarlet and Violet is a game I will probably revisit. In six years, we'll get very Scarlet, and it's just a remake of Scarlet. I mean, you joke, but I'm 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 anticipating an Ultra Sun and Moon version of Scarlet and Violet at some point. Yeah, yeah. If that was their like 
long plan all along, I'll be very upset. <laughs> um, but the thing about that is I don't know, truly, I don't know enough about the making of that game to know if its performance was because of the limitations of Switch or it was just like not given enough time to be like coded properly. Well, unfortunately, it came out around the same time as Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which I think... which like looks amazing so i yeah. feel like there is a version of that game that could run fine and I'm, and I'm talking about like what sticks in my mind not to like dunk on it too much but just like the scene when you're in a classroom you're not even in the open world you're in a classroom in this pokemon academy and you're sitting at the desk and the kids in the class are animated in a way where their heads are bobbing and their feet are waggling and it was literally moving like one frame per second. This was not an ambitious scene <laughs> and it like failed to meet the minimum standards. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think if you compare it against things like Xenoblade or or things like Zelda, right? Like, I mean, look at or even Arceus, you yeah. know, like I, I know I know people critique that the way that game looked as well. But like by comparison, that game feels like they got to show their vision for it. Like yeah. it's not the most beautiful game ever. There's definitely like some textures and stuff in the world that are a little bit off, but like none of that got in the way for me. Yeah, same. And I, I think just, just to put a bow on this, like I am willing to have the experience with Scarlet and Violet that I know a lot of people are having. And I, and I same. did play a lot of that game. Like I played yeah. like, I don't know, three quarters of the content that was in there. Like I played a lot of it. I just didn't finish it, but I, I do want to have that reappraisal. Like I would love nothing more than for a new switch to come out, have that across the board power increase, have it be backwards compatible and then revisit Scarlet and Violet and have the experience that I think that team wanted us to have with it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty confident if that game performed up to like even the minimum standards, it would have been like on both of our lists. Yeah. Like I just loved the setup. I loved the characters. Like it was one of the more, I'm not playing Pokemon for the narrative to be clear, but I think it was genuinely a pretty interesting plot for for the series you know like uh man very frustrating but we'll see what happens warrior move it is available for the <laughs> nintendo switch i like it i'd recommend it hell yeah you want to take a break and move on let's do that sounds good bye-bye bye-bye hello hi we have an update. Uh, one of the things that we don't talk about very often, but if you uh, are one of the people who, thank you so much if you are one of these people, who listens to the entirety of the MP3 file we upload every week, you know that it ends with a little audio stinger that points you to TWG, the worst garbage, which is the podcast network, quote unquote, that we have been a part of and um, set up years and years ago uh, when initially... There was this show, Into the Aether, and also another show that I was uh, co-hosting with a friend of mine, Andrea, uh, called No Script at All, which was a reality show podcast. And over the years, we've had shows come and go on the network. Um, I think notably one of the shows that we have had on there for a long time that is still wonderful and you should go check out is Frog of the Week. Yes. Um, which is a, a wonderful team effort by a bunch of people and and just continues to be a huge joy. Um, we also had a show called Asynchronous. There was another one called Eleven Again. But for a while, the network has been kind of just kind of like a, an, I don't want to say an afterthought, but has been like something that's kind of been on the back burner. We've never really thought about adding more shows. And a lot of it came from honestly, us being like is it just a place for us to spin up more shows if we want to try new things like is it, is it just kind of the umbrella for that but over the course of time and over the course of the years of us doing into the aether I, th I think one of the things that was the most impactful in terms of the network and in terms of the show has been having a discord which we have had for years at this point years and years yeah um, and that discord is a place that we've always pointed to especially with all the stuff that was happening with like elon musk's twitter 
was like, <laughs> hey, while we're trying to figure out, you know, where our hub is going to be for the future, the place that will stay the same for the longest time or for the longest period, at least now, or the most stable place to keep in contact with us and what we're doing and what the rest of the network is doing is always going to be the TWG Discord. So we've been pointing people there for years at this point for that reason. It's like really actually the best place to stay involved because there are even times where like you and I will do a surprise stream on Twitch and we're not posting about it anywhere except for the discord because we have like a built-in thing that will just like ping people when we go live so for the longest time the people in discord have been the most aware of those things but also over the years we've created this really cool community in the discord and the community has over time started to spin up their own podcasts and people within those communities have started to spin up their own podcasts and we thought what better way to build the future of TWG than to take some of those shows and bring them under the wing of the network itself. And just to be clear, this isn't like a if you spin up a podcast and post about it in TWG's Discord, that means that you're going to join the network, essentially. But, you know, just forming relationships over years and years and years. Yeah, there are a couple shows that really stood out to us. So we've actually added two shows to the network over the past couple of weeks, um, one of which the first one we added was Video Game Podtimism, um, which you can find at podtimism.com. All of these are available at theworstgarbage.online. It's a very bare bones website and it just links to all these shows so you can just go find them there same with all the older shows as well if you want to check out any of the ones that are not active yeah they're also there yeah but video game podtimism uh is is described as is the optimists video game variety show where two best friends talk about the wonderful world of gaming and apparently when it's fall soup Mm -hmm. my name is chase and my name is david i also had a taste it's just a great show it's been going for i think years at this point um and over time has become something that is like in my rotation which i think says a lot considering how few video game podcasts i listen to yeah to be honest i don't listen not not to make make it elitist or anything but i i don't really listen to many podcasts at this point yeah Uh, it is a great show and they also cover a lot of very obscure stuff yeah i feel like it's you're gonna learn a lot about very strange entries in a good way yeah like if, if you consider our show as like unique because we are not covering the newest latest stuff all the time and we kind of chase our whims they make us look extremely triple a centric by yes. comparison yes yeah. we we are billboards top 100 compared to <laughs> where they're at um yeah but it's a great show i would highly recommend checking it out and the other show we just added recently is called can't let it go hello and welcome to can't let it go a show about the things stuck in our heads my name is matt and i use he him pronouns wow hi matt i'm ac i use they them pronouns Wow, nice to meet you. Wow, I'm so excited to be <laughs> here. It's like kind of one of my favorite kinds of podcasts, which is just like like a real like real ass online variety show where like just two friends will sit down and talk about literally whatever is interesting to them at the time. They bring on guests to kind of fill them in on things that are happening in the background. So actually, Chase, one of the hosts of Video Game Podtimism, was just on to talk about the like history of Metal Gear Solid, um, which was an amazing episode. Also, one of our big blind spots. That's like one of the big series that you and I just have like no information on. Oh, I'm, I'm playing Metal Gear Solid. We just haven't <laughs> talked about it yet. Uh, I'm just saying it's one of the many white whales in the in the ocean ahead of us. Yes, but I think it's worth mentioning about Can't Let It Go that they're not just covering video games and actually infrequently are covering video games. There are episodes about like bands on TikTok. There are episodes about Star Trek. There are episodes about like Twitter alternatives. Like when Threads came out, they did like an emergency episode about Threads. Like there's a lot of really interesting stuff that they're covering. So if you just kind of want like a general interest show that you are, I, I think, going to really love because the hosts are so so fun to listen to uh can't let it go is a great show to listen to uh that can be found at can't let it go dot gay also available at the worst garbage dot online so yeah uh that having been said i don't think those are the last shows we're adding to the network i think you know we're 
kind of always on the hunt. Uh, we have some, we have some ideas. Uh, we have some people we want to reach out to. So uh, expect more updates like that in the future. I think a larger question is like, does TWG become like a much bigger enterprise? I think at the moment, the answer is kind of no. Like the thing that I think unites all the shows that are under the network at the moment is like, we all just really like making our own podcasts. And the thought was, why not just like help prop up our friends and our ourselves and every everybody around us, you know, just like kind of create a nice atmosphere and a bunch of really great shows. Um, so there's a little bit of curation and a little bit of like, we don't know what the future is. So stay tuned, but go check out those shows because they're, they're really wonderful. Yeah, they're awesome. I, I think one of the reasons why it was maybe like our investment in building the network was kind of on pause for a while was like, we weren't sure, like, because we're not like investing like money or time into like the promotion of it. We're like, does this really help anybody? like but i think like you said like in the discord we have built such a supportive community that like it does at the very least like just the cross promotion between shows and like having them all present in the discord does seem to help so i'm really happy that that's the case and yeah we'll we'll continue to like keep you all posted if that continues to take shape and develop but um i'm happy that we chose to invest in adding more shows to twg totally yeah i think um yeah it's just it's just fun I think it's cool. <laughs> it's just I'm fun, having cool fun. And good. Yeah. And I think just to reiterate, like this is definitely not an America's got talent situation. Uh, so don't join the discord just to be like, here's my podcast. But if you have a podcast and you join the discord, like by all means, share it. And uh, yeah. Worth noting too, there's also a channel uh, in the discord called self promo. So like uh, you're always welcome. If you have something you're working on that you want to get eyes on, like you can plug your work there. Totally. Um, and there's a lot of people in the discord that will like follow that channel. And uh, I'm glad that we have that outlet too. So like independent of like whatever we're working on, that channel exists for you to plug your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And those are, those are network updates. So what we're saying is email us your type five and <laughs> expect a response the next day. We'll, we'll send it right to Lauren. <laughs> we'll send it right to Lauren. I'll send you a check for 20 grand. Just money grams me the difference real quick. I am a prince. This is urgent. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) Okay, why don't we move on? Let's move on. Hey, we're back. Hello. Uh, I just, I, there are two thoughts that I had while we were having that conversation about Pokemon that I just kind of wanted to, to bring to the surface. Uh, while we were taking a break, I was like, oh, I meant to bring this stuff up. Number one is a video, uh, by Matt Horton, who is one of the co-hosts of Can't Let It Go. Matt has a wonderful YouTube channel where he makes, uh, video essays about a bunch of different things. And one of the essays recently was about a game, which I don't think we brought to the show. Did we call Cassette Beasts? Did we talk about that? I think you brought it up either on the show or we definitely talked about it at the very least, but I'm pretty sure you brought it to the show. Cassette um just as a quick refresher in case i did or didn't doesn't matter um is a indie game that is going after kind of the pokemon idea the whole conceit is that you get sucked into a world where uh you have a cassette player like a walkman cassette player uh where you can record or play the tapes that are on that walkman and if you are recording a creature that is in the outside world that is essentially like the capture mechanic and there's also like a persona element where you are by listening to the recording of that creature you are turning into that creature um so you know it's pokemon for all intents and purposes but i think is coming at it from the angle of like this is a franchise that could use some much needed uh polish and 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 this uh formula for what this franchise has been for so long like maybe needs a little bit of a shakeup. and cassette beast is like really trying to go after that matt has a great video about cassette beasts through the lens of like 
the franchise really does need to evolve. On the flip side, you and I received a text message a couple of weeks ago, I think at this point, from a mutual friend, Dom Nero, who's one of the co-hosts of I the Duck, who messaged us and just asked, like, have you ever liked another game that was trying to be Pokemon? Like, have you ever, like, really enjoyed, like, an indie game version of Pokemon or, like, any other company that's trying to make a Pokemon game as much as you enjoy Pokemon games? Which I've been, like, really grappling with ever since he asked us that. Like, that question has been living rent-free in my brain for like about a month at this point, I think just about. And I think, I think cassette beast is like almost the closest I've gotten to saying yes to that question. You want to, you want a jump scare for me to answer that question? Sure. As a kid, as a child, definitively, I would have said yes. Monster, monster rancher. rancher. Yeah. I was waiting for monster. rancher. (laughs) Swayzo. Something about monster rancher. So one, the PS one monster rancher, you got monsters by scanning CDs. Yeah. And that you could still find like cursed GameFAQs forums of like, if you scan Hanson Snowden, you're going to get like a green Swayzo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, like, I don't think those games are especially good. And I think they're really let down by kind of like uninspired creature design. There's some okay ones, but like if your coolest monster is a wolf, you got to think outside the box. Right. Um, The thing that I liked about those games, though, is that fundamentally they were about raising like one monster at a time and like really focusing on like almost like more of a pet simulator of like really making sure that that one creature was like well taken care of and you have like a genuine bond with them. I feel like there's a way to maybe like take a step away from the like I have a team of six one of every element game Mm -hmm. and like rethink what like a monster RPG or or monster collecting game can look like. Yeah. That's, I think one of the reasons that RCS worked so well for me was it felt, it it felt like a reinvention of what Pokemon can be, you know, because I I think in this, actually this really ties into, I think a lot of our conversations about Zelda over the past couple of months, especially Majora's Mask, but I think Majora's Mask is one of those games where you play it and you're like Zelda, a Zelda game can be a completely different thing than you think it is and still be considered a Zelda game. And I think in the same way, RCS proved to me that there are specific elements that I consider to be Pokemon elements, right? Like it would be weird to have to call a game a Pokemon game and not have the like capture and battling mechanic, right? Yeah, like that, those, that you need that kind yeah. of table stakes. I, I'm saying for like mainline Pokemon entries, to be clear. Yeah. Like yeah. Pokemon RCS, I if they if they hadn't made the distinction themselves, I would consider to be a mainline Pokemon game because it has all of the elements of things that I consider to be important to that franchise, right? Honestly, even uh, what was it? Sun and moon getting rid of the gym badges entirely. I was like, fine with, I, I know there were people who were like up in arms about that, but even in that era, I was like, this is enough of a shakeup. But I think it's an interesting question to ask. Like, do you need gym battles in these Pokemon games? Really? The only thing I need at the end of the day is like just capturing and battling at all. And I think the, the issue that I keep running into with a lot of these other games that are trying to like almost steal the Pokemon. Like, I don't think there's going to be a Pokemon killer. I think that's like the thing that people say all the time is like, Ooh, is this the thing that's going to kill? Po-? Like nothing can kill Pokemon. It is literally <laughs> too big to fail. Yeah. I'm sorry. It is. It is the Google of video game franchises. Like it's, it's going to be around forever. And, and even on that, like the EU isn't about to say, break up Pokemon, you know, <laughs> like in the way they are with Google. So in some ways it's even bigger than Google. Um, <laughs> That having been said, I want to be the very best, bigger than Google. They, they nailed it already, I think. Yeah. That having been said, a lot, a lot of the games that are trying to go after 
what Pokemon does. I think almost play it too safe in a lot of ways. They almost sure. play it too close. I'm saying mechanically. They're playing it too close mechanically to what Pokemon is doing already. As you said, there's always the like, you can have this many Pokemon on your team. You need to have a bunch of different elements to be able to, you know, switch out at will to make and sure. And the elements you're... are always like volcanic instead of fire. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they always switch up what the elements are. Like that's yeah. that's an, that's a pet peeve of mine also because I know you run into the same thing. And then also sometimes the character designs don't tell you just visually what type they are yeah. and i know like pokemon is hit or miss there but it, they're better at it than i think a lot of the kind of the, the other approaches to pokemon are point being i think where you and i are at with the franchise and where we kind of hit with sword and shield a little bit was like this is maybe the last time i'm going to be okay with a game following this formula to a t right mm -hmm. and then what we got after that was arceus and then Scarlet and Violet, which I think are both wildly different directions to take the franchise in. You know, Scarlet and Violet obviously still has the gym battles and the and, you know, most of the most of the standard Pokemon fair. But setting it in an open world is enough of a differentiator that I think it makes it interesting and kind of shakes up the formula a little bit. And a lot of the other games that are trying to eat Pokemon's lunch or are, are framed as if they are going to be some kind of Pokemon killer are games that are like really following the formula that everyone is tired of to yeah, a T, right. which I think is the, I think that's why the answer for me is probably still no. Like I haven't played a game that's trying to be Pokemon that has captured the, the charm and what I'm looking for at a Pokemon, because what I'm looking for at a Pokemon has changed dramatically since, you know, the early era uh, uh, that I think a lot of games are pulling from. And it's also such a huge series that what you or I want out of it could be completely different from a huge number of people. Yes. Pokemon fans are infamously hard to please, but you're right to point out that like a lot of the games are just kind of trying to mirror it just enough without getting sued, basically. Yeah. That's a dismiss those ideas. I truly, if you tasked me tonight with making my Pokemon <laughs> competitor, I would fail miserably. Yeah. I same. think it's just, I think it's just really hard to do. You know, it's kind of like WarioWare. So they got Pokemon really right. I mean, we did red and blue, like while those games are in many ways a little bit outdated, they got like, 90% of why you play Pokemon in the first entry. It was remarkable going and doing that bonus episode yeah. for Red and Blue and being like, man, these games hold up. Yeah. Like not yeah. like nostalgia glasses off. Like those games hold up and are still really good. Yeah. Absolutely. So I just think there's, I, again, I, yeah, I think you're right that like Arceus in a weird way is a nice guideline of like, here's a game that feels like Pokemon, but is wildly different in structure. Yeah. And I, I think just to be clear, like I like Cassette Beasts. I, this is not, this is yeah, not yeah, disparaging yeah. on Cassette Beasts. Like I think what Cassette Beasts gets right is like, what if Pokemon had an actually good narrative? <laughs> just like, <laughs> wow, what a, what a concept. Like I won't take this dismissal of Team Aqua's goals personally. <laughs> just what uh who what's his name xander the guy who just wants everyone to be to dress well yeah 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 <laughs> xander it's like there's like a point in x and y where he like goes on the big screen and he's like everyone's gonna die and then he's like i'm sorry but it has to be done <laughs> what is this it's so bizarre it's um, also funny where it's like all the games follow that like there's got to be a team that tries to end the world and then and then you stop it. But that's not the ending of the game. It's like you stop it and then you have like, well, I actually have two more badges. Like it's always right. like kind of weirdly <laughs> in like the middle. Yes. I, I think it works with like Team Rocket in the first two games. Mm -hmm. Even in Red and Blue, it's a little bit weird. You like stop what you're doing to, to stop the mob. Right. But I think it is like 
in red and blue, it's at least kind of almost a commentary on how to play the game. So I think one of the initial ideas, as far as I know, this could be wrong, but rumors I've heard is that Pokemon initially didn't have combat. Right. It was yeah. all about collecting, catch them all. You can see in, in a lot of the, at least in the first two games, there's always this like repeated mantra or this message of like, this game is about friendship and about like bonding with your Pokemon, not treating them like weapons or items. Right. Yeah. Uh, even though the game in a weird way kind of asks you to do the latter there's always that disconnect of like okay but i do have to like level up and like you know everyone's like iv farming now uh because it's it's fourth generation right how do you how do you circle that square when you're when you're preaching one thing but the actual design of the game says the exact opposite yeah i don't need a team i mean i actually think scarlet and violet having the teams be like a third branch you can go down was kind of interesting. Yeah. It was like, okay, you can either like focus on exploring or the gyms or fight the mob. Fight the um, mob. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, it, it almost gets back. And sorry to spoil Bioshock Infinite for people, but it, <laughs> it, gets, it gets back to the end of that game with this idea like, you know, th- that that game is a big commentary on what sequels need to be and, and the pressure of needing to follow up with some people at the time, at least we're calling one of the best games ever made with Bioshock one and not Bioshock two constantly removed from the conversation. Great video yeah. game. Just because Ken Levine didn't make it doesn't mean it's bad. Just to be clear. Great video game. Anyway, the end of Bioshock Infinite, it has you running through possible versions of what Bioshock Infinite could have been over and over again. And they just keep saying there's always a man. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a city. There's always a man. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a city over and over and over again and like it almost feels like somewhere at the pokemon company they have their own version of that that they unironically believe in yeah it's like, it's like there's always a team there's, there's always, always eight badges there's always the mob there's always someone's pc which is the we- that's the weirdest PC. that's the weirdest one <laughs> That is such a weird. I, I love that. There's, I think it's fourth gen where like you just find like a punk dude with a leaf on his head. He's like, oh yeah, that's my server. Right. And it's like, it's like you know, Gale's PC yeah, yeah, or no, someone. Yeah. I would love if it was Gale's PC. I just, I just feel like that's the thing holding the franchise back more than anything is this kind of like commitment to something like that. Because even Arceus, a game I really like, sure does have like an evil group of villains that you need to beat. You know. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't feel like it fits the vibe really at all yeah i don't know i i just i just think there's a there's a world in which there's a world in which a a a team of people and i'm not talking about the pokemon company anymore i'm just saying a team of people in general want to make something that captures the spirit of pokemon that doesn't follow the formula to to that degree yeah it reminds me so much of what we kind of asked for with like life sims where it doesn't have to have a farm like you don't have to have the central mechanic be you can change what the verb is and keep the spirit of the game and actually one of the games i'm going to bring up really feels like it is following that that mantra uh which i'll talk about in the next segment cool but yeah why don't we why don't we quit it with pokemon let's x out of someone's pc and move on with our lives yeah i uh, just to wrap that up i just want to shout out again cassette is a good game i know that became like the scapegoat <laughs> for this it is a good game you should play it i do like it but i do th- i do think like trying to answer dom's question about what works for me about other games that want to be pokemon i think cassette ended up also being a good exemplar of what i don't want out of that sure yeah it can be both it can it can succeed and fail in your expectations i contain multitudes arguments don't have to be black and white my pc can i can deposit living beings into this thing and items and if i turn off the game too soon i get 99 of them baby do you think do you think their brains just turn off in the computer I think they're aware the whole time, like Moriarty in Star Trek. And he's like, what? Your captain forgot about me. All right, yeah. We got to move on. Turn, just, to- <laughs> yeah, just turning living creatures into 
binary ones and zeros. <laughs> so dark. What's so funny is it took until Arceus, Arceus, whatever you want to call it. Arceus is what sounds right in my head. That's what I call it. For there to be a more logical way to store Pokemon just in a ranch. I like how yeah. we began with like melting Pokemon into like a digital singularity <laughs> and putting them into Windows 98, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Bill Gates literally showing up. Yeah, in Bill Gates, game. who accidentally turned himself into a Pokemon, which just goes on. I wish that was the recurring theme. Like, not someone's PC, but <laughs> so someone's like, Bill no, Gates. I'm a man. I was once a man. Listen to me. No, don't feed me calcium. Listen to me. No, don't IV farm me. Listen to me. <laughs> but all the time they just hear like, platypus, platypus. <laughs> they can't hear him. Yeah. He's just speaking in Pokemon. <laughs> platypus, platypus. I do wish it was always Bill Gates, though. <laughs> Pokemon, Pokemon is big enough to actually pay Bill Gates to show up as himself. I'm surprised there was never a Steve, you know? Oh, yeah. Right? Who's like, hey, welcome to the new town. He would have made the Pokedex. Absolutely. 1000%. Also, there's a lot of tablets in the Pokemon world. There are a lot of tablets. Yeah. The I Okay. The iPad. <laughs> let's, let's move on. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> Brendan. Hello. I know we're done talking about Pokemon, but can I bring up a game that is about a little bug creature that you trap in spherical objects? Wow. Yeah. What, what a great lead in this was. By accident. <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at bridging chaos, I feel, uh, <laughs> if I dare say so myself. Just like WarioWare. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Everything. Uh, I have played Cocoon. I actually started this a few weeks ago. I've been meaning to like play more to bring it to the show. I have yet to finish it, but I played enough that I figured I'd bring it up because I'm having a great time with it. Yeah, I also played a lot of this game around when it came out. This is developed by Geometric Interactive and published by Annapurna. Worth noting, too, it's a lot of the same team as Limbo and Inside. And I believe it's their first game since inside right yeah this is this is their first game as geometric interactive um there was some kind I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of this uh, i'm sure there's reporting on it online but there was some kind of split between the team that made limbo and inside i see at, at a certain point where some of the team went off and made i forget what game and some of the team went off and made cocoon and you can kind of see i mean inside and limbo are both like sort of puzzle games i think limbo came out like right at the dawn of the sort of xbox featured indie games yeah. you know i feel like braid limbo and uh bastion are all kind of in the same era for me yeah super meat boy super meat boy it was the time Spelunky. yeah indie games obviously existed decades prior but that to me was the first time i was hearing the term said in a mainstream context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. X Xbox, I think, really like throwing their weight behind indie games and saying like it it behooves us to have these things on our console. Totally. It's just kind of amazing to see how far like that term in the industry has come. Not yeah. that it's like separate from overall games, but I just think for for most of our childhoods, the idea of like working on a game or making a game felt like it was behind an iron wall of like knowledge and even magic to a certain point. Yeah. You know? And I mean it kind of was because I feel like the idea that someone just made cave story like in their time off. I mean, now we see every week there's like eight new Metroidvanias in the store. Right. But I feel like when cave story came out in the early two thousands, people were like, someone made this and it's like on par with what Nintendo puts out. Like it's hard to really communicate how wild that was, you know, when we were growing up yeah. for people younger than us. But regardless, uh, I actually revisited limbo. I think 
maybe last year for spooky season it is kind of like a horror game and, and inside too is like both of them have very like sort of depressing atmospheres they're both in black and white they're both like a, almost a little tim burtony and like a little bit grotesque inside especially um limbo i think has a little bit of like the the main character is like cartoonified enough that when his like head gets cut off it's a little bit more kenny from south park than like the last of us yeah you know yeah i feel i feel like limbo is a little more tim burton as you said and inside is very much like john carpenter yeah for real for for many reasons i actually haven't played all of inside i I started it at a friend's house weird game to play with a friend watching you and i I didn't see it through but i have seen the ending so i feel like i know enough about inside to speak to it but i that's another game i've been meaning to just like actually play through because people love inside i feel like inside is often on like best games of all time lists and stuff yeah i didn't feel that as much when i played it but i i really admire elements of it and i really loved limbo and when i read visited limbo a couple years ago i was kind of amazed how much it still like stands out i was kind of ready for it to be like this is really novel when it came out but now we get limbos like every week (laughs) and i think that game is still really impressive and just like the slow burn of like your abilities and and the puzzle solving and I, i think it's like a really really good game so i was excited to see cocoon and also see that it was like very different in atmosphere and in tone. Yeah. I think if you were just to look at it, it kind of reminds me of Tunic in in the graphical style. It has that soft 3D energy going on. And I can't help but think like, it's interesting to see, like I think sometimes when you have for lack of a better term, like in auteur style, and then they come back after a long time. I'm always happy to see those teams like clearly paying attention to how games have developed between now and then because i feel like i loved bloodstained truly but it did kind of feel like that game was made in a time capsule like without any acknowledgement of like Mm. the hollow knights and other games of the world you know it just felt like here's more castlevania which to be fair is what people were asking for but i think with with cocoon to me it, it strikes me as like oh this is very much like the teams that made these games and and their own inspiration and like incorporating elements of like puzzle games that have come out between those times if that makes sense yeah it, rem- it reminds me a little bit of super brothers where they launched super brothers sword and sorcery ep like way back on i don't know the iphone 4 era of the app store yeah. i think took a 10 15 year hiatus and came back with jet the far shore and was like oh this is you can t- you can tell it's the same team and they're going after a lot of the same ambitions, but they have clearly been informed by the breadth of, of stuff that has come out between that release and now. And I think, honestly, I, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer of this segment, but like <laughs> I loved Limbo when it came out. Like I, yeah. I was really, really smitten by it. I was blown away by it. Similar to you when I was in college, I, I my roommate was a game design major and we were one of the only rooms. Actually, no, we were the only room that was connected to the common room um, because we both said that we never sleep on our intake form. <laughs> so they paired us together, put us in the common room and uh, we would just leave our door open all the time and people could just like kind of filter in and out and whatever. And I just remember playing through Limbo so many times because we would be playing it and people would walk by similar to y- with you, people walking by and seeing Oblivion and going, oh, people would walk by, <laughs> see us playing Limbo and be like, what the fuck is that? 
Yeah, you know? and it's it immediately in. gripping in terms of its visual style, especially at that time. Yeah, and we would always be like, oh, you know, it's like, I forget how long it is. I think it's like three or four hours total or something like that. We'd be like, hey, it's really short. Do you want to sit down and play the whole thing? And we would just sit there and watch this person play through all of Limbo again. Like, I, I really connected with that game on a pretty severe level, I would say. And when Inside came out, was I was really glad that people connected with it. I, I'm, I have seen a lot of really glowing praise for Inside. I understand what people liked about it, and it just did didn't work for me like at all yeah I, I think i think just in my eyes i didn't feel like they took a step back looked at the breadth of what had come out between limbo and the release of inside and say like okay we're, we're incorporating a lot of that like it felt a lot like limbo to me it felt like a like a another crack at limbo which is a game that i didn't think needed another go in a lot of ways that makes sense i mean so, i think it, there's something really refreshingly simple about limbo that i think iterating on almost it's almost like WarioWare, like truly where it's like you get it right the first time do you have to go back the audacity to be like we're gonna do it again baby is like yeah yeah that's that's it's a difficult thing to pull off and for a lot of people again to be clear a lot of people feel like they pulled it off and i think that rocks for me personally it didn't work but knowing that i have had that complete 180 flip between Limbo and Inside, I was really excited for Cocoon because I was like, here's this team taking another crack at, at making a game and it, it has a completely different energy, which I, th I think is exciting. Um, I mean, I just remember the first trailer, like seeing the little bug guy running around with it with an orb that he was holding and then putting it down and this like big kind of H.R. Geiger machine and then getting sucked into it. And there's a whole other world like that. What a great teaser for a video game that was. Oh, yeah, it's it's really cool. And I was stoked about it. And I, I have played a lot of it. I, I haven't finished it. I'm like, according to my save file, I'm like 60 something percent of the way into the game. So I'm like, I think if I played another session, I would probably finish it because it's really short. Also, it's worth mentioning. Um, I think it's another one that's like four or five hours max. But uh, it just it just it just didn't it didn't fully connect with me. And I think weirdly, the big reason for that is because Patrick's Parabox came out <laughs> in, be in between hearing about Cocoon and playing Cocoon. And Patrick's Parabox almost feels like the Spelunky version of Cocoon to me in a lot of ways where I'm like, that is the distillation of everything that I love about what Cocoon is doing. And there's a lot that Cocoon gets right. Uh, yeah, I, I think like art direction is amazing. The otherworldly alien feeling of what's going on. I think is really interesting because you really just never know what's going to happen because it, it it is so alien that the interactions with the world end up being more surprising than following the line of logic that you've built in your head. Like moments in which you go to like push a block and when you go to push it, like the block is actually a creature that's like, hello. And, you know, just kind of walk, walks around and wanders on its own. It's like, oh, I thought I thought I was supposed to push this, but it turns out I just need to follow it to where it's going. It's yeah. like those moments happen constantly. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this game being so short is that they nail that over and over and over and over again. But the big, the big holdup I have is like, I'm so interested in the jumping into worlds and the, and the recursive nature of the puzzle solving in Cocoon. But I just had that with Patrick's Parabox. And it, and that feels like the perfect, like the perfect crystallization of that idea by itself. I, I agree with you. Like, I definitely am enjoying Cocoon for its own strengths, but I agree in terms, in terms of just judging, like which game actually utilizes that premise more there's no contest. I actually think that's like maybe the biggest hang up I have too about Cocoon is it takes a little too long to get into the promise of the game. Mm. Um, and there are some things they add. Like, I don't think the game needed boss fights. Yeah. All the boss fights are bad in different ways. Like they, they're not like not fun to play, but I feel like for me, it's a tough balance to have bosses in what are essentially puzzle games. Yeah. I think like, 
a good example of a of a puzzle boss is actually GLaDOS and Portal. It's more about like the story exploding than necessarily like a final test right. of your skills. And it's also like the only one that happens. You know, I think like a boss, in my opinion, not to like, you know, limit one's expression in boss fights, but like I think the the more successful bosses are either they're testing or teaching you a crucial skill to the game, mm-hmm. like a Margit. You know, or Father Gascoigne that we always quote is like, here's the skill check. Right. And if you can beat them, you're basically set for the rest of the game. Or it's like cinematic and for story reasons where it's like, it may not actually be difficult or anything, but like it's going to be like kind of a wild moment. I actually think FF10 nails both, weirdly enough, jump scare. But <laughs> without spoiling Final Fantasy X in the middle of my cocoon section, I think that was possible. Um The final fight of that game is a really tough fight, but the actual final, final boss is actually a fight you can't lose and is basically just atmosphere. Mm. So it's like you can kind of have like the skill check and the cinematic thing. The bosses in Cocoon are really just about like not getting a hit once and like there's like timing and there's some puzzle solving but they don't feel like puzzles and i feel like if you if you get hit once you just start it from the very beginning and it's just like i feel like there was maybe this is just a guess on my part but it feels like this game might have been going after this sort of like quiet world building and difficulty of a hollow knight or a tunic and the bosses are like remnants of that game Mm. but it doesn't match up with like anything else like i'm hoping by the end there's maybe a boss fight that actually incorporates the central mechanic of going into other worlds that would be sick right yes but like so far it's just been like you have to drop something on them yeah i i think the comparison to Tunic is apt for me because Tunic is also a game. I mean, Tunic is a game that is about a lot of things. And one of those things is combat. Like when you are, yeah. you are an adventurer and you have a sword and a shield and you sure do got to use it. And even in that game, I just remember going up against the bosses and being like, this isn't why I'm here. You know? Yeah. I, I think that was a miscalculation of like the difficulty didn't need to be there uh, in the way that the difficulty, I think aids a game like Celeste or Hollow Knight. It did not aid Tunic. Right. And I, I, I think that's, that's doubly true for me of Cocoon personally. Yeah. Yeah, and I the bosses aren't quite to the same, at least for me, they aren't like that challenging, but they're just sort of like, they throw off the pacing for me. That being said, though, otherwise, I think it's an incredible game. Like, I think, yes, Patrick's Paradox is like, I don't think there will be a game that tops, for those who don't know, it's, it's a puzzle game where you're a square pushing boxes and the initial early puzzles are like, you have to push a square to the goal of the level and then you win. And eventually the boxes you're pushing are also levels in themselves. And it gets to the point where like you can enter a box that is a level and then see a giant version of your player character box's face like on the left because it's repeating. Yes. Um, It's hard to put into words, but it's a real if you haven't played Patrick's Paradox, highly, highly recommend. It's like one of the best puzzle games. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. And Cocoon is brilliant in its own right. I think they kind of made it harder for themselves by Patrick's Paradox is notably minimalist. Right. To pull that off yeah this is a fully like realized bug world <laughs> uh and they have to kind of teach you a lot about jumping into the sphere so how it works is like it's mostly 
also a puzzler where you're like, you know, hitting switches and pushing things to get across different parts of the level. And there are other mechanics you'll learn as you play it. But the big thing, the thing that was advertised and what's on the cover of the game is you'll find these spheres that if you put them in these HR Geiger machines, you can then jump into that sphere and that sphere itself is its own level. And eventually you get to the point where you have multiple spheres and you can put them inside each other and often carrying one of them will also act as like an item or a key so a lot of the like mid to late game is like which sphere do i want to jump into which one do i want to like bring with me mm-hmm. do i put them all in one and just carry it over this bridge and like i really enjoy that and i think that that's a hard thing to have happen as consistently as it does in patrick's Parabox. where i think the game really shines for me is when like there's a little bit of timing involved i do agree with some of your critique of it like i think it's working more for me and I'm having a great time with it. But I do think it's a game that does fall a little short of its promise because I think it gives itself a lot to do on top of the central mechanic. And I think it might have benefited from maybe focusing more on that idea. Yeah, that's that's I think where I land on it is like, yeah, I'm definitely coming at this, I I think, as like the harsher critic of the two of us on this one. But I sure did like a lot of what I played of it. I just yeah, yeah. I just didn't connect with it, I think, the way that I was hoping to. Um, and maybe that's on me for expectation management stuff. Uh, but, you know, I, I have to recognize that at the end of the day, like when I sit down to play a video game, I'm not opening Cocoon again, which I, th- I think I think says a lot for me when, whenever I have the time to do that. That having been said, though, beautiful game. I would be remiss if neither of us brought up the fact that this game is unreal sonically also. Yeah. I just yeah. think what they're doing with sound is like amazing. And the like the the ambient soundscape stuff that they've managed to throw in here is like really remarkable. Like it just really has all of the building blocks of a thing that I would really love just fell a little bit short for me, but I I know, I know that's not the case for a lot of people. And I think I know I bring this up on every episode now, but I think it's one of the things that's so exciting about 2023 as a year for video games is like at the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of people that say cocoon is the game of the year that fucks that rocks. Like I'm, I'm so stoked for that. You know, this, ironically too this is also a game i wouldn't mind a sequel to like this is actually one i do want to see iteration yeah because um, I, I think it does like i think it, i think it really pulls off what is essentially almost impossible to like do yeah like this is a very hard mission it, it reminds me a lot of gravity rush in that way where it's like your central mechanic is bananas <laughs> like <laughs> how do you how do you build a game around a question you know right uh, but they really like succeeded on that i just want them to like really like go deeper with it and not worry about bosses, not worry about like getting the right keys and stuff. It's like, just give me the jumping in and out. Cause mm-hmm. that, that is so much fun to do. Yeah. Uh, that's cocoon. It's available on everything, right? I think yeah. it's even on switch. I'm playing on Xbox. Um, but yeah, play it wherever you have the best speaker and the best display basically. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. Yeah. Cool. You want, you want to take a break and talk about another Annapurna published video game? That sounds great to me. All right. I can't wait to talk more about Kentucky Red Zero. <laughs> don't, don't put that in the world. People are going to ask for that. <laughs> they will. Bye-bye. See you soon. Steven, we're back. Hello. I can't wait to tell you about the next game. It's called Thirsty Suitors. It's another game uh, published by Annapurna Interactive, just like Cocoon. Wow. Uh, and just like Cocoon, this is a game uh, about fighting your exes in turn-based RPG battles. <laughs> Amazing. Um, no, th- this is this is a really interesting game. I like honestly don't even remember seeing the announcement for this, but I think that you and I have probably watched one or two events where this game has been discussed. Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've heard its name and I've seen it like promoted here and there. Yeah, I I heard about it uh, like for real, for real. Right when it came out, a bunch of people in the discord were like 
just saying like, oh, Thirsty Suitors is out today. And I, I looked it up just to see what it was. I was like, that looks sick. And I just downloaded it immediately. Didn't have time to play it until this week. But if you don't know what Thirsty Suitors is, uh, you play as somebody named Jala who uh, returns back home to her hometown um, and is immediately confronted with all of her exes who have like gotten together and essentially are either trying to exact revenge against her for the ways in which they might have broken up or alternatively are trying to get back together and are trying to win her affections. Amazing, amazing premise. I yes. feel like it's like like horror movies, Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Like it some evil exes. Yeah. Where you're playing as Ramona Flowers instead right. of playing as Scott, which I actually, I actually think is a more interesting version of that story. Not to dunk on Scott Pilgrim also, which is a, a franchise I like a lot. Totally. But no, it, it, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of potential there narratively. Yeah. yeah. It's re- it's really, really interesting as a setup, um, especially because the way in which the game opens it, first of all, I, I think you just love this in general, but it starts with Jala having to answer a bunch of uh, like buzz feed ask relationship questions like on a, on a quiz <laughs> to figure out her her like type and when you figure out all of that stuff it's it assigns you like your base stats for the game um so it, it gives you like like your buzzfeed personality but that personality is also one of the three stats that they're going to level up for you which i think is like great i great love that to do i love when games like myers Briggsify stats yes um so that's 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 how they establish your base stats um which i think is really fun like one of them is like heartbreaker another one is the star and i forget what the third one is but um that will also be affected by how you answer questions and dialogue choices as well which i think is another really strong piece of this game uh just mechanically is every single time you're having a conversation with somebody and you can choose from a list of dialogue options that will all kind of lead into what your stats end up becoming cool which i also think is very interesting so I have found myself not really trying to like min max the stats at all as much as I am just like answering questions honestly and like just kind of seeing where I end up that having been said every once in a while if you like complete one of the battles which I'll obviously get into you will just be given a bonus stat that you can put in any of the three stat lines which I think is really helpful so it's a little it's a little bit like Paper Mario in that way where you don't have a lot of things that you can invest your your stat points into but every once in a while they give you a way of like kind of evening it out like say you just keep getting the health increase but you don't get the damage increase ever it's like you can throw a couple points that way which i think is nice um but the game opens up with with jala kind of just like on a bus ride home upset about the fact that she has to go home in the first place like there's a little bit of that like i can't believe i have to move back in with my parents to make this work kind of kind of mentality and while she's doing that she's kind of spacing out on the bus and like scrolling through her phone and answering this buzzfeed quiz and that sucks you like into her mind essentially where as you make your way through like her mindscape uh you see like giant versions of her parents like being disappointed in her her (laughs) sister who is like upset with her for a bunch of reasons being like why don't you call me back why don't you try and fix the rift that we have between us simultaneously she has a voice in her head like the narrator of the video game is another version of her sister who's like a little bit nicer to her and like wants to keep up the conversation so you have this like fun dichotomy between what her actual relationship with her sister is and what she thinks it is in her head is like the narrator of her story very interesting but as soon as you get off the bus at the beginning of the game you have this moment where it's like i have to figure out how to get from the bus stop back home and i need to figure out like who in my life has a car i could call my parents but that's like kind of embarrassing i could call my sister but we haven't talked in months so like maybe that doesn't make sense and i could call my ex but obviously that's not going to happen either like i you know there's somebody that she had like an on and off again relationship with she's like i just don't i don't i don't want to pick up the phone and call them um and while she's deliberating all of that and you're going through all the options in your head your third grade ex shows up <laughs> And he's like, 
I'm going to win your heart back. <laughs> and oh my it immediately God. launches you into what is actually uh, a turn-based battle system. Like it, it is like a, a turn-based RPG game where you have like random encounter battles like this and you need to figure out almost Pokemon adjacent like type matchups. I was about to say, I feel like Pokemon conversation happened almost by accident, but it's yeah. become the connective tissue of this it episode. Weirdly has, yeah. yes. <laughs> And I, I think what I think what this game gets right is a is a thing that you and I talk about a lot, which is like I've always wanted to see a turn based RPG battle system like this in something that isn't like high fantasy or space. Yeah. You know, right. and, and taking that idea and framing it around like you're going to have to make your way through, quote unquote, dialogue or just like conversations, like uncomfortable conversations through the experience of mechanically choosing from like a, a list of different skills and magic and stuff like that. I think it's really fun and really interesting. It reminds me so much of Yakuza Like a Dragon and, yeah. the, and the ways in which Ichiban was just kind of like warping the world around his love of Dragon Quest and that turned combat instead of being real time into turn-based combat or uh, appeasing shareholders like as a little mini game with yes the business side quest that game was so good God. it was really good um yeah. the, that new yakuza spinoff is out also this week uh oh which man that's, i just i just can't lot. do it yeah <laughs> i gotta catch up first anyway I catch up too yeah so so this guy this guy is like obviously i mean the name of the game is thirsty suitors this guy is like very thirsty uh it like really wants to get back together with jala and that's how that this is how they teach you the type matchups where like you can tell based on his vibe like he is very thirsty so what you can do <laughs> is just like flirt a little bit with him like one of your skill options it's like a taunt is like you could flirt with him a little bit and it like overloads him and he like doesn't know what to do with himself because he he's just expecting you to be like kind of heartless and cruel as as a response to everything he's saying but for you to just like switch on a dime and be like maybe we should get back together he's like, he's oh, like my oh, god, oh, oh my god oh my god oh my god Oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and when you hit them with a type like that, when you hit them in that case with like a like a thirsty type status, that then allows you to use a thirsty ability, which like doubles or triples the amount of damage you do to them. So you have to inflict them with a the status and then you have to use an attack on them that kind of takes advantage of the status that you've afflicted them with. And that's kind of the like give and take of combat is figuring out based on the person's vibe what kind of status effect is going to work well on them. Like, is it going to be, you know, making them super thirsty? Is it like actually just angering them? Is it um, being like super heartless towards them? Is it impressing them so much that they start to feel, you know, like they maybe can't hold a candle to you? Like, like there's a there's a lot of really interesting dynamics there in terms of listening to dialogue from the person that you're fighting against and then using that stuff against them um, that I think really works very well. The way in which you actually make your way around the game is on a skateboard, which is very interesting. Um, so you're not like running around this town, but you are skating around this town. You can like grind on rails and stuff. But there are also random encounter battles and the way in which they like diegetically make sense of the idea of random encounter battles being in a game about a girl like visiting home to like just try and patch things up with like her family and her sister and stuff like that is that her grandma is sending her people that she thinks she should marry <laughs> and essentially like telling telling people where Jala lives so they'll just like show up and be like hello your grandmother sent me and then you have to fight them the That's same way so you would funny. with all the exes but the, the game is really centered around these exes and all of the different reasons in which they broke up or it didn't work out or whatever and whatever hang ups they have because it seems like Jala is the kind of person who I just like kind of runs from her problems and doesn't really explain herself you know like ghosts a lot of people or things like that um, and like wants to make amends for that and wants to patch these kinds of things up, which I think is is really great. There's also this really big aspect where you are also trying to patch things up with your parents a little bit like they have kind of taken the approach of like the 
fact that Jala's here at all is nice because we have kind of a strange relationship. I think I think her mom says like we haven't talked in like three months. Like you haven't even like texted or called or anything. And she was like, the last time we had a conversation like that, I got really angry with you. And then it was a really long time. You know, that was like after we didn't talk for one month and then I yelled yeah. at you and then we didn't talk for three months. So like obviously anger is not going to solve this. Maybe the solve for this is like just come stay with us and we'll just like try and make amends and like try and be good to one another, which I think is a really nice way of handling that situation. Yeah, I love I love how in and out of combat people are trying to figure out how to approach a relationship. You yes, know? yes, like, exactly. That seems very consistent throughout. And the way in the way in which you kind of patch up the relationship with your mom is, I think, really beautiful, which is just like you consistently ask her for help learning how to cook like various South Asian dishes, um, which I, I think just creates it, it reminds me a lot of Venba, which is a game I brought to the show a couple yeah. weeks ago and like absolutely loved, which was about reconnecting with like ancestry and the and the and the, the lineage of, of a family and like passing recipes down from person mm-hmm. to person and just like keeping keeping the spirit of these people alive through the food that you're making. I thought really beautiful game. I really loved it. And Thirsty Suitors is kind of going after a similar thing where you are trying to connect with the generation above you and in so doing also connecting with previous generations as well. Alongside that, creating this food becomes your healing items as well. So there is mm. this there is this back and forth of like not only am I improving myself and my relationship with my mother but I'm also getting items that I can use in combat because the combat isn't super easy I would say like I, th- I think early on it can give you the impression that it's going to be pretty easy. I'm playing on normal. I'm not playing this on easy. Um, I'm playing on normal mode. And like for the first couple rounds of combat and the first couple like random encounter battles I had and like the first two X's, for example, I was like, this game is like I, I have a handle on it. I'm like doing fine with it. But eventually I got to the point where it's like every time you have a random encounter battle, a guy will like snap his fingers or like call somebody and like call for backup essentially and have like another guy show up. And then suddenly like combat gets exponentially more difficult because you're, you need to figure out each of their weaknesses and what taunts to use on which one and you're running out of your your uh like mana meter um and things like that like there are there are a lot of um strategic ideas that come into play the further into the game you get but i just think it's it is all through this lens of jala wants to be a better person wants to patch things up and like is on this journey of betterment it reminds me a little bit of night of the woods in that way where it's like yeah right may is going back to her hometown and like trying to patch things up and like acknowledge i think that game opens in a really beautiful way with May acknowledging her own failures in a lot of ways. And like, yeah, she's being like kind of flippant about it. But at the end of the day is like, I did fuck up, you know, I did fuck up yeah. and I have to move back here and I need to figure out what my life is going to be like after that. Jala is also coming back to her hometown with that understanding of like, there are a lot of people who I have harmed emotionally here. And I need to make my way through those experiences and see if I can come out the other end, like becoming friends with them, because that that is kind of how it works out at the end is like when you beat one of your exes, you're not I I would imagine you're not always going to patch things up perfectly, but you do leave things on better terms than you started, which I think is is definitely the that's definitely the end goal. Mm. I didn't even mention this combat also kind of has a Paper Mario thing where like as you do certain attacks or as other enemies attack you, there are kind of like quick time event button inputs that you need to that you need to hit. I could give or take on some of them, honestly, like, you know, pressing A at the right time to take less damage like that I'm okay with but some of them are like you need to spin the the analog stick around and then you need to you know press it in all these directions kind of like it's a rhythm game then you need to press A at the right time you need to mash X and then you need to hold B for like the right amount of time like some of them get a little bit involved in ways that I think detract from like the actual game like I, I would be uh, honestly more interested if the game was more confident in the fact that like they already made a great battle system like yeah. this idea of needing to taunt the enemy and then follow that up with a with an attack that will kind of take advantage of that taunt is already interesting and needing to 
bounce that off of what kind of character am I fighting against and in what order should I be using these things? Because sometimes like the heartbreaking taunt won't work until you've already like enraged them or something like there is there is a little bit of guesswork there that I think is really interesting and adding the quick time event stuff on top of that, I think maybe detracts a little bit. That said, there might be a way to turn that stuff off and I just haven't gotten to the menus because there's a lot of accessibility options in here and I could see turning quick time events off being one of them. That's a great observation, though. I, I think like the turn-based combat games that have those button inputs are kind of hit or miss for me as well. Like sometimes it could be a really fun addition. I think it works really well on Paper Mario, for example. But like you're right, it's like if you're confident enough in the base combat, it shouldn't need it. I think Persona Five is obviously the gold standard where there's none of that in that game. Yeah, and combat is super exciting. You know, yes. it's like if you are confident in the UI and the strategy, nothing else really needs to be added to it. Right. Yeah. And just like visually what they're going for is really, really fun. Like yeah. all, all of these combat sequences, like the, the the first one with your ex Sergio starts in this diner, but eventually at, at towards the end of the fight, you get like sucked into his psyche essentially. And in his head, because of his relationship with his mom and his dad split when he was really young and he ended up like staying with his mom most of the time. And I think just because of that dynamic between the divorce and all that stuff, like his mom just kind of, I don't want to say coddled him, but specifically just like made him so much the center of her world that he feels like invincible. So when you get sucked into his head, he is literally invincible and you need, <laughs> you need to figure out a way to like shred his invincibility away, which, you know, knocks him down a peg and actually like hurts him emotionally and you need to figure out how to not only do that but then to come back back out the other end being like hey there's like there's a better version of you in here and there's a better version of the relationship that the two of us have and all of that plays out via combat and yeah. that's that's really really i think something very interesting it's like one it's one of the cooler premises for a game and one of the cooler executions of a game i played this year i, I just yeah. I'm, I'm really i'm really blown away by it i i really enjoy it my my one hitch my one thing so it, this is out on switch and playstation and xbox and pc i'm playing it on switch i think that might not be the right place to play it like obviously if you have a switch like go play it there i haven't had any performance issues to be clear but there are a lot of load screens mm. and they take a long time like because you you are traveling between different open world-esque spots each of them kind of being like a little tony hawk level in their own way where you can you know go around get into a bunch of random combat battles go visit people like at the diner or like your aunt who works at an auto body shop and then if you wanted to leave that area you could go to like a campground which is where the second x fight is and like skate around there as well so there are all these different like kind of open areas that you need to make your way through but going through each of them or visiting a place in each of them throws you to a load screen at least on the switch and i have to imagine like playing it on the ps5 would probably reduce those load times by a pretty dramatic oh degree. yeah <laughs> yeah I, I always think about even on uh the series s i were playing yakuza like a dragon and like the loading screens had yes. like like pretty lengthy biographies for the characters like as you wait and you it just was a second like you couldn't even read them you could just read the first word of whatever that bio yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> i've actually been considering just also getting it on playstation because a like i want to support the developer uh outer loop games is the name of the developer i, I just think yeah. they, they put something really great together i, th I think like first of all I, I think it goes without saying but it's, it's worth saying like I, I just think having this diverse team make a really cool game that is celebrating their culture and celebrating like that that side of themselves while also telling a, a super hyper relatable story about this girl who like just wants to make good on all of her mistakes in her past like like all of that stuff just coalesces in making something that feels really 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 confident and I just want to see this team making more stuff like this because it just 
it really it really blew me away so yeah I'll, I'll probably buy it again on playstation i can report back see if it runs better there i'm really excited to play it i mean i also think another i mean i haven't played it yet obviously but one aspect of it that sounds really interesting and i think is important too is like i think it's nice to have something kind of framed as a dating sim that isn't like explicitly about ending up with one person or like romantic in that way. it's like a yeah. very different approach not that that's like a bad thing but i just think like i think the dating sim skeleton is like one of the best ways to tell a story in a video game Mm. like that might sound like hyperbole but when you think about the games you and i love like yeah. three houses persona mass effect Baldur's gate 3 like all of those are secretly dating sims you know amidst mm-hmm. everything else but that doesn't have to mean like it's inherently like sexual or romantic like obviously in this game it's about it can include those things but it's about like forging and rebuilding relationships right you know and i think having kind of mechanics to aid connections to other characters like you can it can feel really meaningful even more more than like what the writing is doing or what the visuals are doing. Just like having that be the actual mechanic. That's something that I think was so successful about Jump Scare Three Houses was <laughs> like, I think if you were to just play that game without watching any of the support scenes or like spending much time at the academy you'd probably like have a decent time but like those battles felt so much more gripping and meaningful because you had seen these characters like as people and gotten to know them and help them as people none of the support scenes are about like you should be better at archery if anything they're the opposite you know Mm -hmm. you should be Mm -hmm. better at art ignots uh (laughs) but anyway this game sounds special for a number of reasons and i'm excited to play it yeah you you are really gonna connect with it yeah i'm gonna lose my mind i can tell already yeah uh that's thirsty suitors it's out now uh i think it came out last week or two weeks ago big recommend big recommend go play it cool i think we have one more game so let me take a break and then get to that one i'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) see you soon bye-bye are you reading something no i'm good are you reading xanathar's guide to everything i am yeah how'd you know have you heard the call of dagon yet Take heart, his mighty hero cried. He looked up at Dagon and cursed his foul name. May runes Dagon, not Dagon. Didn't redo that take? Let me take a son. AJ, keep all that. <laughs> no! Oh, whatever. <laughs> hey, welcome back. Uh, okay, here's the deal, dear <laughs> listener and dear Brendan. It's it's goatee prep season. Mm-hmm. We're playing a lot of stuff that like we either haven't gotten to yet or revisiting a lot of things. And by extension of that, the show could become a little predictable. You know, you could maybe be like, oh, like I, they'll probably talk about, you know, Cocoon or whatever. And I, there's a part of me. I don't know if it's a good or evil part of me, but there's a part of me that needs to keep Everyone I love and value in my life, including you, dear listener, and myself, on their fucking toes, you know? (laughs) Sometimes that manifests in going on Amazon.com and buying a used copy of Xenosaga Episode 1, Der Villa Zermacht, for my PS2. (laughs) I'm holding it to the camera right now. Uh, Okay, so here we are. I I have played Xenogear, not all of it, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Xeno Saga episode Xenosaga, one. Yeah, this is actually. I don't know if you know. Do you know anything about this? How much should I? I I do. I think from doing a bunch of research on Xenoblade Chronicles way back when. Um, yeah, but I, I do think it's probably worth telling the listener. Yeah, yeah. I think you can't just dive into Xeno Saga without talking a little bit about like the series overall. Yeah, and I think the Xeno series for us is interesting because I think you and I both loved Xenoblade Chronicles three. Yeah. 
that game's awesome. I, I still haven't finished it because it never ends. Um, <laughs> but it's like a really miraculous JRPG. For those who don't know, uh, Xeno Gears was the first game. It was initially pitched to be FF7 and was rejected for being like way too much and too dark, which is saying a lot because <laughs> yeah, consider what Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy VI is. is, I would say, one of the darker games of that era, if not that series. And Final Fantasy VII is also a pretty dark game. It's a good litmus test of like what was considered too edgy in 1998. That like yeah. Xenogears was was not considered to be like mainstream enough, and Final Fantasy VII was. And yet they were both a huge hit. Um, but then the creator left Square, started his own company, I believe, with some foundation by namco who owned the series during the xeno saga era mm. and then the first game the first xeno game for monolith was xeno saga yeah so this is sort of like you know similar in some ways to like Hideo kojima leaving konami and being like i'm making death stranding right like xeno saga is kind of that yeah now correct me if i'm wrong this was either xeno gears or xeno saga i forget which one Maybe it was even both of them. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I, I know we talked about this, I think, during the Xenoblade Chronicles 3 era, but Takahashi wanted this to be like a 15-part franchise. Like It was Xenos... So he, <laughs> you are both right and wrong at the same time somehow. Yeah. Uh, Xenosaga, the idea was that it would be six games. Yeah. And that the... The fifth game, if I'm understanding my research correctly, one of those six games would just be Xeno Gears again, like retold, rewoven into wow. the Xeno Saga. I love that. So if you're already feeling that's, that's very, of, it's very remedy with what they're doing with Alan Wake and Max Payne. Yeah. If you're already feeling kind of like something in the air, you're right. This is the most Dreamcast game I've ever played in my life. And it's not even <laughs> on the Dreamcast. Like this is the definition of beautiful, ambitious disaster, which we discussed <laughs> in the Dreamcast episode. And by, by being a Dreamcast game, I mean, it's like wildly ambitious, like maybe too much for the time, maybe like too much for like what the technology could handle and has the Shenmue curse of wanting to be like way too many games that it was given like time or budget to be. Mm. Now, all this sounds like a dig. I'm going to get to the actual game and I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit. I just think it's, it's kind of interesting and I think important to know like what surrounds this game, you know, before talking about it. Cause what's really even more fascinating is like, it has this origin as like, this series that's too edgy for Square, it breaks out on its own. The Xeno Saga ended up being a trilogy. It did like okay. Like the first game reviewed well, sold well. The second game is kind of considered like kind of the weird one. Like it, they changed up the team and they changed up the look of the game and the comp. Like everything was different. Yeah. And no one really liked the changes. And then apparently Xeno Saga 3 is like incredible. Like that is. If you like look oh. at, you know, discussions online, people love that one. What were you going to say? No, I just think it's very interesting. Yeah. So like it ended up getting to where it needed to be. But I just think overall the series underperformed and that led to sort of a reevaluation of the series. And they worked on a different game that ended up becoming 
Xenoblade Chronicles, and then Nintendo bought them. Right. Yeah. So it's also worth mentioning. Just I'm, lo- I'm looking at Monolith Soft's Wikipedia right now, and they yes. also in this era made the Baton Kaidos games, which just got remastered and released on the Switch. Which I just feel like is a game that you and I are eventually going to talk about on the show and like way too much. <laughs> yes, exactly. But from what from what I know of this, because Xenosaga didn't quite work out, Takahashi and team were like, we're gonna we're gonna try again, and that's what Xenoblade Chronicles was. Was like. Let's see. Let's see if we can, can take this like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe twelve part series that we're thinking about making and condense it down into a smaller franchise, which is what Xenoblade Chronicles turned into. Yeah, and I think it's like seeing the history of it, seeing Xenogears, which I still haven't played, and that's like one of my big RPGs that I need to experience, like before my time on Earth is done. I just yeah. feel like it's like an important work. Oh my God, they worked on Dirge of Cerberus also. <laughs> They were a support team for that. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> Xenogears is this classic that did well critically and commercially and is still talked about. Yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles is undeniably like the hit you know i mean there's many entries in that series but like it is a nintendo somehow the game that square said this is too much has become a nintendo first party series (laughs) and i love that so much i i love how far we've come given i think xenoblade even though it is a heavy series and can veer more adult it is notably like lighter in tone than xenosaga and xenogears are at least like in terms of the execution of scenes like even just the depiction of violence like xenoblade chronicles 3 opens like a pretty brutal scene of war but even just the way like characters dying looks compared to like how it looks in xenosaga is is very different Mm -hmm. it's a very different like portrayal of of violence so you have like xenogears and xenoblade certified hits and then there's kind of this lost history in the middle and i'm just like this is calling to me in a way i can't quite explain i just feel like i need to know what this is and i need to see if this is like secretly gonna be an ita favorite yeah Good news, you can get Xenosaga Episode 1 for like $20. It's not expensive. The third game, good luck. There are many people on eBay selling just the case for $200. Whoa. No game inside. <laughs> okay, so I have pl- I, I started this last night, which is why I kind of have an unhinged energy. It's all very fresh to me. I'm not even sure if it was a dream I had or not. Yeah. So I'm about... I don't even... I can't even tell you how long I've been playing it because whenever I save it where it would display time and says time just says zero no matter what so it's like not updating how long it's taking which is kind of surreal but I would guess I'm like at least five hours in I like really couldn't put it down at a certain point wow damn so I'll, I'll explain a bit of what it is I would guess that there are pretty like because all the Xeno games are technically sort of in the same universe I imagine there's like stuff if I played Xenogears, I would maybe be noticing. But as far as I can tell, this was meant to be like you could play just this and not be missing too much. The Xenosaga overall is notably way more sci-fi than the other series. Mm. And I think that's why when I was playing, I'm like, Brendan would love this because there are moments it feels very Star Trek. Just like the way the crew of the ship talks to each other. Yeah. Um, and even just the ideas the game has. So anyway, the game, this will be spoiler free, but I'll, I'll talk about the opening hour or so. The game opens with like a archaeological dig site in Kenya. And it feels very, it feels very Spielberg, honestly. That's the thing about this game that's worth noting. It's very cutscene heavy, even for this era, which was like all about like, hell yeah, we can do more cutscenes. There are, there are times where like, you'll watch like 
I don't know, a half hour of cutscenes, and then I'll be like, do you want to save? <laughs> and then you save, and then it's like another half hour of cutscenes. And I think that's really, like, that's probably the biggest point of tension with this game is like, hmm. and that's why I, th- I consider it a Dreamcast game, because I'm just like, if this came out on the PS3, I just feel like the hardware and like the game design knowledge would be at a point where this would be more interactive. Yeah. You know, like that being said, I don't find the cutscenes that taxing because like one, I actually, the story is very gripping. I think it's like a really strong narrative and that's clearly like the game is pretty directly setting expectations with like, Hey, this is going to be like a very narratively driven cinematic game you know like you don't get to play the actual game until a decent ways into it but i think what really helps is like the actual like yes the the presentation is a little bit dated i think the overall style of the game there's like a 3d interpretation of like a very stylized anime look so some characters i think look really cool and some look a little uncanny it's like not quite there but overall i think the game looks pretty interesting it has a very unique style to it and the voice acting is surprisingly good for a game from like 2002 you know this is like not that long after Shenmue the voice acting is like pretty great honestly wow and the cutscenes are really well done like it's not just like static shots or like shot reverse shot like the actual cinematography and editing is really good and I find it just like genuinely gripping to watch like that dig site you know in the beginning that I mentioned they find this relic it feels like right out of Indiana Jones and then there's a cut to 4,000 years later and you're in space. And I'm like, that is such, I met very 2001, right? We're throwing the bone into the air. Yeah. But like, I found that to be really effective and it really like immediately set the scale of this game and like how there's going to be that bridge, right? This is a game that is set in the future. It's a sci-fi setting, but there's a, there's a connection to the distant past mm. as well. So the overall premise of the game, you play as Xion, who is the chief engineer on this ship, and her main project is bringing to life this battle android named Cosmos, or Cosmos, get it? And there's very much this interesting relationship going on with her and Cosmos, but also just all of the other androids on the ship, because she is quickly introduces like a very empathetic and kind person and she is one of the only characters who is projecting a sense of humanity onto these robots um, and you can already see a lot of the themes that are explored at least in xenoblade chronicles 3 of like that whole game was about this never-ending war where both sides have like essentially child soldiers born to die. Yeah. And this game you have uh, what are called realians that are human-like androids that have emotions and were given some form of human rights at some point, but are largely considered like expendable soldiers. Mm. And they've become so much the norm that even this project to make Cosmos is like scoffed at by the scientific community because they're like, the idea of making like a singular android is a dated idea in this future. Like this is someone's weird fascination or pet project. And I'm like, I've never seen, truly, I don't think I've seen a work of sci-fi that is about 
a battle android scoff at the idea of androids like in the fiction of the world you know like that to me i was like i love that idea so much and there's a lot of really fun world building like that where there's a point where like there's this like trucker in a scavenger ship and one of the guys is like are we like vultures or like you know like you know these animals that like he names a bunch of animals that are essentially like eat the remains of the dead and he's like don't jinx us by saying a bunch of extinct animals in a row like we're better than that and it's like (laughs) just hearing that like all of those like vultures and you know vermin are now extinct yeah is so wild but I think what you would really like about this game is that it's very it's it's very interested in a lot of you know philosophical ideas there's obviously like a huge evangelian influence so there's a lot of like you know religious imagery and stuff but i think even more than that there's this exploration of what it means to be human and what's interesting is that like when cosmos and like eventually wakes up and is like another character in your party she has no interest at least initially in being considered human Mm. like it's actually a point of tension without spoiling she does something like really bad and she ends like how could you just like walk away from what you just did and cosmos is like i you're confusing me for a human being like i'm a weapon i don't have to feel anything yeah and she's like totally logical so there's like there's almost this like wish of Shion's that she was more of a person and i imagine that will change you know cosmos is on the cover of the game with angel wings i'm sure she will eventually become more of a character Mm. but you have that dynamic you also eventually are introduced to a supporting character who is and this is dark so trigger warning suicide there's a character who killed himself but his body was donated to this corporation who brought him back as a cyborg against his will. Oh my God. And now he's like a, basically like a hitman gun for hire and he'll do like any job. Just like, tell me what to do. But in the scene where he's introduced, he asks like, I, I don't want any payment for this. I just want one thing, like erase the memories of my past life and I'll do whatever you ask of me. So you have this character who is, still human wanting to be fully machine so he can die Mm. and i'm just like there's so many characters like that that are a different angle of exploring what it means to be alive and what it means to die and it's all in this like bizarre goofy ass ps2 game that like also has turn-based combat in it sometimes yeah (laughs) like and i think the combat's actually i'm surprised how good it is so it weirdly reminds me of chrono cross a little bit where like when you go to attack Say less <laughs> <laughs> you have like two actions you can do so you can choose to like attack twice mm-hmm. or you can attack once or even discard and have more energy for next turn yeah so like with cosmos you can like you know kick and then pull out her sword or you can like guard and then the next turn she can just summon like a chain gun and just <laughs> shoot an enemy there's th- like if this game got a remake, which I don't think will ever happen, but if it got like a FF7 remake level treatment, people would lose their minds. This would be like so popular because mm. I just I could see its influence. Like I would be shocked if Yoko Taro didn't play this for Nier Automata. <laughs> like uh, even um, Persona 3, I feel like Cosmos and Aegis remind me a lot of each other like it's a very common trope in some ways to have like the android question their humanity but something about cosmos i think is really fascinating in that like she is initially uninterested in that you know yeah and it's actually the people that want that it's like the people and is that itself kind of like 
a manipulation, mm. you know, mm. like there's constantly, there's a character early on who's sort of like the foil to Shion, who's this like veteran who hates the Realians and is like, if you really valued their human rights, why do you have like a fail safe to control them? Like, if you really wanted them to be people, would you get rid of that? And she's like, oh, well, it's protocol. And he's like, exactly. Yeah. So like, right. you know, you're, you're, you want them to be what you want them to be for you kind of thing. Yes. And this is just all in the first like four hours, you know? And I think <laughs> the combat's fun. Like, it's definitely nothing like, you know, in some ways it's, it's, uh, a bit familiar but there's also like eventually you get the ability to summon like an actual mech and that's so cool and i think the game does a great job really illustrating mechanically how strong and how scary cosmos is like she is i guess supposed to be the hero but like you you aren't sure of that for a lot of it and there are some like when she first wakes up it feels like the terminator where like all the engineers are like terrified that she's like awake and that they haven't tested her enough and they have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And when she wakes up, it's in the sequence where like the Gnosis, who are very much like the angels and Evangelion, this sort of like extraterrestrial threat. And they don't even exist. Like you can't even hurt them with traditional weaponry because they don't exist in this plane of reality. So like one thing Cosmos has to do is like bring them all into this realm before she can like destroy them stylishly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, before she wakes up, there's this whole sequence where you're just she on powerless walking through the entire ship, trying to get back to the engineers. And before then there were like at least an hour or two of just like getting to know the ship, getting to know the people on it. Every now and then there'd be like a big glowing button and someone would go like, don't touch that. That releases like the airlock and all that's like, why is this here? And then when you're in this escape sequence, you're like, oh my God, I can like run up and use the airlock to suck them all out, get past (laughs) them. It's like thrilling. And you do all this like creative stuff, feeling totally powerless. It's like a horror game for a bit. And then when your robot friend wakes up, she's just like wrecking them. And it's genuinely so cool. And so cathartic to see like i think sometimes when you have a character who's that overpowered it could not really you don't feel the weight of it because it's just like okay this looks cool but i don't really i get it you know Mm -hmm. but like Mm -hmm. because you've seen how much it takes to bring down like one of these things just to see her come in like effortlessly like you know there's a really cool moment where she's like in a room full of gnosis and you see it from her point of view scanning them all and then she just scans the window real quick and just shoots like the glass of the ship to suck them all out. It rules. It rocks. It, it's I I think I'm in love with Xenosaga. I uh, <laughs> and I, I wanted to bring it up because like one, I thought it'd be kind of like my instinct was like I just don't hear anything about this game. I feel like it kind of gets buried by the other two Xeno series, and I wanted to see how it was. I was fully prepared for it to like not work for me, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. But I also think there's just like it's clear there's not really an interest in like porting this one forward because it didn't really do well commercially and like was sort of a mess critically in some ways. At least the second one was. Like, I feel like it is sort of like the forgotten middle child of the series. And I don't know, I just wanted to like see if it was not worth preserving, but like if there's something here to really celebrate, like don't sleep on this one. Like this is actually great. 
if you're a fan of, of the other ones. And I can confidently say that now, you know, I'm excited to see more of it. And maybe my opinion will change as I get deeper into this one or into the other two. Um, but I think it's really special. And if you're a fan of like super ambitious games for the time they came out and ones that are like, you know, had the freedom to like fully explore the themes they wanted to explore and like be as close to their like initial vision as possible. There's just an energy to this game that's like really it makes it hard to put down, even in the parts where I'm like, eh, that didn't work for me or like. It's worth pointing out there is a bit of gaziness in the design of some of the characters, like nowhere near the degree of like Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Yeah. I think the design of Cosmos, I think she looks awesome. Like I remember seeing her in a game magazine when I was like 11 and just thinking like, cool. You know, it's like, <laughs> hell yeah. But it's a little bit like, okay, like why does the battle Android have high heels kind of thing? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's, it's nowhere. I mean, that level of comfort is very personal. It's nowhere near the degree in which that would make me like uncomfortable playing it, but it is present enough that I thought I'd mention it in passing. Yeah. Ultimately, I think all the characters are like really like fully fleshed out and all kind of represent like a very distinct philosophy. So I'm like much more engaged with that than anything else. So I, I think it's wonderful. I think you could probably get away with watching it if I'm being honest, but I am glad that I am playing it because I think I, I do really like the combat and there's something about existing in that space and being given control in those moments. You also, you can tell it was like the early 2000s because they're like, email coming in. Do you want to reply to your email? You know, <laughs> which I love that Y2K energy. But yeah, that's that's my best pitch and plea for Xenosaga episode one. Uh, it sounds great. I, I, I actually I do want to play it. I did learn though in the process of this segment uh, that they have an anime adaptation of this video game that you can watch. Oh, nice! It's a Twelve episode series, um, which you can go check out. And when they were done with that and done with the second game, they also released a demake of Xenosaga One and Two together the DS. on yeah. the Nintendo DS that only released in Japan. That doesn't seem to have a fan translation, also unfortunately. Um, but man, do I wish that I had access to that. Cause that for me would be a no brainer like that. I would, I would pick that up and play that right now, but right now just it being locked to the PS2, which is like a little bit all over the place in terms of emulation. That's why I bought a copy. Cause yeah. I'm like, I'm blessed with the working PS2. Like I, I just will, will get that, especially if it's like $20 is a no brainer. Yeah. What this is really doing though, is lighting a fire under my ass to play vagrant story and Xeno gears. I feel like the two like yeah. PS1 games that you and I are are definitely, definitely, definitely going to love, but it's just a matter of when we play them more than if. Yeah, that those are like both bonus candidates, in my opinion. You know, yeah. like because that's also like yeah, Zeno Gears. I haven't played. I feel like it's it's like a huge piece of RPG history that we're missing. So yeah, I will also just give a shout out to a YouTube channel that I'm a big fan of called Resonant Arc, which does really big deep dives into like these kinds of games exactly. Um, and they had a whole podcast series that they did um, that was just, it was called state of the arc and it was just about Xenosaga episode one. That is like very cool. Uh, I'm sure I've listened to, I've listened to their stuff about other games like this and I'm sure that their coverage of Xenosaga is great, but I just haven't checked it out because I want to wait until I play it. Yeah. I just, uh, I feel like, I really like what I played of those, you know, like Xenoblade 3, I think was like the one that got me into this series. And I'm curious about one and, and maybe even two one day, give it a second chance. But I think Xenogears, like that just seems to be like the one to play. Yeah. And something about Xenosaga, I'm like, it, it, I don't, I hate to be the guy. Like, actually, my favorite is the weird middle one. But like, I think it might be like, I just, like, I really like the, that's our vibe. 
Yeah, I, you that's, just gotta that's accept just what it. I felt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll see. I did just order. I I found a cheaper copy of three on eBay that I instinctually purchased. Uh, thank you, patrons, for making that not a super irresponsible <laughs> use of our money. Um, but uh, yeah, I I'm really excited to see more of the series. That's Xenosaga, episode one. That's it. Also worth noting, our favorite composer, Yasunori Mitsuda, is like the Xeno composer for almost all of the games. And the soundtrack for this game is awesome. It's really cool. It's also like a very different, like there's a lot more like, I love the song that plays when you get an email. Maybe actually, maybe I'll send it to you, Angie. You can put it in. I love the email song. It's making me love email. to accomplish and therefore Xenosaga <laughs> episode one great video game i learned what it means to die a good death and to love email i love filters you got your inbox but you also got it split up between promotions and uh social yeah and social and spam <laughs> primary promotions social Xenosaga episode one for the playstation 2. <laughs> did you get my last reply oh that was in my Xenosaga folder sorry i, I don't <laughs> i only read that once a month Dear villas are mocked Anyway, why don't we wrap up? Let's do it. Thank you so much for listening. In, uh, if you like email, you're going to love Into the Cast at Online. It's our website. Uh, it's like find... email, but you don't have to receive <laughs> it or send it. It's just always there for you. If you'd like to help the show grow, uh, recommend it to a friend. We don't do any advertising, so we're really, truly at the, at the whims of word of mouth. So please recommend it to a friend if you think they'd enjoy it. If they're also a big Xenosaga head. Also, you can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you to those who have done that. It's always nice to see really positive feedback there. Our bonus for this month is going to be Twilight Princess. I'm very excited for that. I've been thinking about Ivalice as well. It's funny you mentioned Vagrant Story because my initial playthrough of Twilight Princess on the Wii, that was around the same time FF12 came out. Yeah. And I remember playing them alongside each other unconsciously or subconsciously prepping for A, being better friends with Brendan Bigley one day <laughs> and our podcast. Yes. Um, but it's been cool to like, I haven't played Todd Princess in so long. It's been cool reconnecting with those memories. I weirdly, uh, booted up tactics ogre reborn on my switch yeah. yesterday also, which feels like in line with the Ivalice shout out. Let um, us cling together. Some, something's in the air there. Something's in the air. And yeah, that's basically it. Uh, we're like slowly getting closer to Godi, which is very exciting. And that's kind of where most of our energy is right now. It's just like kind of reviewing stuff that's come out this year, stuff that continues to come out this year. Uh, 2023 is like a wildly interesting year for games. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora <laughs> coming in December. I think we both made some lunch and some rest. So <laughs> Let's go do that. Yeah, let me let me just uh, I'll just at the end of this episode, for those of you who have listened all the way to the end. First of all, thank you for doing that. So few people do that. And you are one of the people who did that. So thank you for doing that. If, if you're at the end of this episode, we we are about we're around on threads and blue sky and Tumblr. Those are like kind of the main social outlets and Instagram, kind of the main social outlets to reach out to us. Just out of curiosity, is there anything that we as Into the Aether are not doing that you wish we were doing? Just let us know. I'm just curious. Yeah. Just curious to get some feedback on that. 
someone just says Xenosaga 2. Yeah, just talk about Xenosaga 2. Yeah. Xenosaga 2. Fucking rules. Yeah, doesn't I, yeah, and to be clear, I'm not I'm not just saying like tell us what games you want us to talk about, uh, but I, I mean like more broadly. Like, is there anything that like Into the Aether as an entity on the internet uh isn't doing that you're interested in? Let us know. Every year we kind of take stock in in like how the show is doing and, and we're very grateful that like it's just kind of continued to grow. So like thank you all for recommending the show to your friends. Yeah. We always like seeing where we can we can kind of scale the ambition of the show and like take a little bit more on to kind of keep it exciting and fresh for us. And so yeah, if there's anything we haven't been doing that like, for example, like more streams or something like that, like let us know so we can kind of help like frame what our next step is. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, so hit us up, let us know. Um, that's all good. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> we've been we've been on the phone for about five hours straight at this point. So when that, when we inevitably make merch, I want a "That's all good" T-shirt with like <laughs> your face and the thumbs up. <laughs> hey, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger Art. It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. Bye bye. Garbage.